Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to another episode of Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is episode 22. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob. Well, and the only one available, Rick, so let's be upfront about that. But you thank you anyway. Cri- you meet the criteria. <laughs> Warm-blooded. Excellent. And uh, today, um, joining us, uh, we have Mr. John Waller-Sewell. Uh, now, you may want to rethink that. I didn't say John Walker. I said John waller <laughs> Sewell. Uh, and uh, he is a guest uh, on the show. Hi, John. Welcome. Hey, Rick. Hey, Bob. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And and so for those who don't know, John uh, is a member of our Captain America Combo fans Facebook page. Um, and uh, he actually, you know, he's a uh, does some some writing himself um, uh, in the comic books. You may want to check out Beautiful, Silly, and Terrible Things, which is a great anthology. Um, and you may also recognize, uh, you know, uh, as a voice uh, here or there, I think uh, during our top 10 broadcast uh, uh, episode, uh, top 10 villains not named Red Skull, uh, we had him call in uh, as uh, Batroc the Leaper. Uh, leap! And then... Um, <laughs> And then uh, for our uh, Tales of Suspense, Red Skull story, um, uh, he was the voice of the Red Skull. So, uh, yeah, great, great having you on the show. Thanks. It's, it's nice to be here and not be stressing my vocal cords too much. Every time I tried to do Batrock, I kept raising my voice. I was thinking I was going to have to start taking hammers to parts of my body. Uh, well, let's, <laughs> uh, you know, just get, let's get a quick reaction there uh, on what, just the first episode, because we haven't talked to you um, on the first episode with uh, that opening uh, killer scene with uh, the Falcon going up against uh, Batrock and his uh, brigade, if you will. Uh, what did you think of that opening scene? Oh man, I was elated. It was always good to see Batrock and uh, man, just, I, I think you guys summed it up great. That was an opening to a James Bond movie if I've ever seen one. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And and so we're going to be talking in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier episode three, uh, the power broker episode. And so that's what this reaction is going to be to. So if you have not seen episode three, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about that. Um, and if you haven't listened to our other reactions, uh, we did do we we're doing it after every episode. Right. So we did uh, episode one and two. Uh, we had some other guests on for that. So you can check that out as well. All right. Let's get to it. Um, wh- where do we want to start? Uh, this was, um, you know, we we finally get Sharon in the episode. Right. Uh, I was kind of hoping to see her earlier and a little disappointed uh she and zemo really weren't in the first two episodes but they made up for it in spades in this one absolutely and i gotta say i I was thinking of bob while i was watching it because she shows up in that black outfit and i couldn't help but think about you guys talking about the mark (laughs) wade run and and bob's reaction to her in that bit (laughs) i think i'm starting to think i'm developing a reputation that's somewhat unsavory (laughs) Any any attention is good attention. So, Uh, yeah, yeah, no. And I'm glad you brought up that episode because we did. We um, we did talk about it in episode 15, which was the uh, Wade Garney Operation Rebirth, um, which was Captain America 445 through 448. And uh, I was having flashbacks to to that comic book story with the attitude that we were getting from Sharon. 
right? That she was uh, a little angry and yeah. she, she had, and, and there was a lot of similarities too. Uh, and, and that, that she had been on the run that uh, she felt that she was left her own devices and just left out there to, you know, to, out there hanging. And um, she was uh, pretty pissed off. And uh, so, th- but instead of, uh, and, and, and also, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting you know, teaming up with uh, Red Skull in the comic book story. And here we are teaming up with Baron Zemo. So there was some, some analogies, uh, I thought. What did you guys think? There were definitely some parallels. Um, yeah, I was getting that same feeling about the attitude. And you're talking about in the comic part, she felt like her life had been kind of taken from her. And same thing here, completely different way, but she couldn't go home. She even mentioned in the episode, she can't talk to her dad anymore. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, uh, I, I, I saw that. It was great. It was a great throwback to, um, to the comics and, uh, and I, I appreciated that. And, uh, but I don't know, something, uh, something just didn't sit right with me. And I think it's because, you know, she seemed to be really super angry at, uh, at Falcon and, um, and, uh, and Bucky. And, uh, hey, those guys, those guys were gone for a while. Yeah. Right? I mean, they didn't, have a, they didn't really have a dog in that fight for, for what, five years. So uh, it, it seemed like she was being a little, a little hard on them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was seemed a little out of character. Uh, and especially because she kept going down that path of, oh, you know, the whole superhero thing. You guys understand it. Like, that's like a bunch of, you know, bull. Right. And uh, and, you know, I'm so glad to see you gave up that shield. And, you know, like she she seemed better. She seemed better. Um, yeah. But it was interesting that at the end of the uh, by the way, she's a badass. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. Those scenes where she was taking on the uh, the bounty hunters. I mean, that was some, that was some kick-ass stuff. Yes, it was. You're talking about comparing to James Bond in episode one. This was a lot like John Wick. Yes, love that analogy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it made up for, uh, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it made up for that that little short scene of Zemo sort of grooving to the beat. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to come back to that. I need to talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, no, totally John Wick. There was totally a, a gun foo uh vibe going on with uh with her kicking some butt there but yeah. at the end when that was all over and then um zemo and sam and bucky they all drove off and then she went to get into a car and there was a uh a woman there who was one you know i guess driving i don't know um you know it was like well who's she and then she sharon mentioned something to her like yeah we have a we have an issue um actually we have a couple of issues exactly and it's like Hmm. Yeah. A specu- lot of speculation out there on the wire, man. Oh, a lot yeah. of speculation about what role Sharon's playing. So I have a question. Uh, let's get to the scene where Zemo and Sam uh, as the smiling tiger uh, and Bucky playing the role of the winter soldier. Um, they're in the bar and they're, uh, they're, they're talking with, um, uh, what's her name? Shelby? Selby? Selby. Selby. Yeah. Selby. yeah. And uh, then, you know, Sam gets the phone call from his sister, blows the cover, and Selby's like, kill them. And then she gets shot. Like, and, and it was like a, a silencer, I, I think, you know? And then later, 
not too much later, Sharon comes out of the woodwork and she's helping uh, the three of them. So we're almost led to believe, well, maybe it was Sharon that shot Selby, but I don't know. Was it? I'm thinking so. I, I assumed it was. Yeah. I, I think it was. I think Sharon's working for the power broker. Yeah. Mm. She may well be the power broker. Possibly, but I got another theory on that. I don't know if you guys want to hear it now or if you want to save that for a few moments later, but. I've got a theory too, John, and I'm wondering if we're on the same path. I love the theories. Uh, (laughs) You know what? Let's not hold back. Let's get to the theories. Uh, We may have the same one, but go ahead. I'll let you go first. Okay. I personally think that for the MCU, the power broker is Arnim Zola. Oh, I love that. Yeah. um, The whole thing where they show up in Madripoor and you see – the the power broker is watching or whatever is sprayed as like graffiti there on the wall very 1984 kind of vibe you know big brother is watching you and in the mcu you don't get much bigger big brother than arnim zola i I gotta tell you john i i was on the fence but i've decided based on that theory that i i really like you now no, <laughs> I think you got. I, that, I hope that's true because I think that would be awesome. But let's see what Rick has. Uh, yeah. Mine's mine's um, like if you're a betting man, if you're in Vegas, uh, these are the long odds. Like okay. this, this one's not likely to happen. But I was very intrigued when they were leaving and they were flying away, and they were talking about uh, Carly Morgenthau. Right. Right. And Zemo kind of offhand put said something to the effect of, um, yes, I am very interested in meeting her in person. And that just I raised an eyebrow. I was like, could he be the power broker? Could he be like because he, you know, why? Why would he be interested in seeing Carly? Right. I mean, I know he doesn't like super soldier serum and and maybe that could be the reason. But what's his interest in her? And and everybody, if you remember, keeps saying, well, once the power broker gets a hold of you, the power broker is totally after you, you know, when they're talking to Carly. Right. You know, and they keep mentioning that, you know, like, you know, uh, Carly, you know, uh, yeah, you know, power brokers, you know, can't wait to get his hands on you. And then to have Zola, I mean, uh, Zemo say that, uh, it just, I don't know. It's, it's a long shot. It's probably a long shot. Um, but, but wouldn't it be interesting in the fact that he, he's double playing everybody and that he's the power broker all along? That, that, would, that would be Zemo. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a possibility. The only thing I'm thinking about is that bar in Madripoor um, where the guy comes up and talks to Zemo, basically says, Hey, you know, words come down from on high. Yeah. You're not wanted here. And it that wasn't Selby that was sending that word. No. That was no. And, and Zemo goes straight into the, the power broker thing. But you know, he could have somehow radiated the message to the other. Yeah, exactly. Could have yeah, throw know, everybody off. Speaking I of Z, I mean, speaking of there's a couple things that throw you off. What was the whole deal with the with Zemo's headpiece? The mask. Yeah, what's up? With I'm that? really glad you brought that up because the comic book fan, and I mean, this is the Captain America comic book fans podcast, right? The comic book fan in me was just, I mean, giddy 
mm-hmm. seeing Zemo, the moment I saw that mask in the car and him grab it, and then when he put it on and all of that. Comic the, book fan, John, loving every second of it. With the fur but, collar. Yeah. With the fur collar, right? <laughs> right yeah, we have, I mean, he had the coat. So yeah, yeah but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But if, if you add that purple mask with that little fur collar to the right. coat, it's the comic right. book version. It is. It is. He just was missing a little crown, but that's fine. That's good. But the the whole thing about when he put the mask on in the episode, how he's just going into this battle or something like that, and then takes it off very quickly after. Yes. There's no explanation behind why did he need it? Is it some kind of psychological thing? Is he crazy? I don't know. Yeah. Or or maybe, you know, maybe Rick's theory has something to it. And maybe the power broker is only known wearing that mask and they don't know who the or maybe maybe he didn't want the the bounty hunters to see his face because they would recognize him as the power broker so he had to put the mask on that's a possibility but then he killed them all so why does he care well they're just collateral damage right he had to maintain his relationship with uh for the time being anyway with uh, these two 'er ne'er-do-wells yeah so that whole thing i gotta say i i like I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with the whole thing with Zemo's story. I mean, I think Daniel Brohl is playing him great, right? Yeah. I think he's doing a marvelous job. I'm, I'm hoping that we do see a crazy Baron Zemo by the end. I, I'm hoping he's not this steady, even keel villain the whole time. I want to see him snap. I want to see him, you know, go crazy like he does in the comics. But anyway... I'm having trouble with the, I mean, I guess we, I, are we all just supposed to believe that Zemo hates superpower people so much that he's going to ride out this thing with, with Sam and, and Bucky uh, until that's through because he, he had opportunities to kill the two of them yeah, and, and, and to get, or away. at least ditch them. Yeah. You know, I mean, why, why didn't he? I don't know. It, it seemed like question. a conflict. It seemed like a conflict to me, you know, to see. And the other thing, too, and I, I don't want to go down things I didn't like, but the other thing, too, I thought it was a little too easy for Sam to just kind of say, hey, you broke him out and uh, and then give Bucky a little hard time for breaking out. And they're like, OK, let me go <laughs> ahead and, and, you know. Right, roll around. I, I, uh, I there I were a few. I mean, I, I think there, you know, I didn't think this episode in particular did a great job uh, with Sam. I think Sam looked, you know, and his origins are different, of course, in in the Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe than in the comics. And, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he comes from a military background. He doesn't have a, a huge experience in the, you know, the world, you know, because mm-hmm. us military guys, we have a certain background and we have a certain expertise in certain things operational, but, but beyond that, and he seemed way out of his element uh you know as, as smiling tiger you know and uh and he just seems to be kind of i don't know lost you know uh with with these folks that have you know experience in the in the underworld of crime and intrigue and espionage he, he just seems like a deer caught in the headlights well he even made note of that right when they were in sharon's loft and they were talking about the the paintings being you know legit and all three of them were, you know, Zemo and Buck and, and Sharon, and uh, they're all explaining it to him. And he even said, oh, yeah, poor Sam, you know, who, who's, 
I forget how he referred to himself, but it was something to the effect of, you know, uh, I don't know much about the, you know, the unworldly Sam. So he even made note of that. You know, and I, one more thing, I, I don't, I'm not sure Zemo is completely convinced that, uh, that the Winter Soldier is completely out from under his, his programming. Right. I mean, he did refer to him as you have to play the role that you claim you no longer are. Yep. And then he made the mention to Sam while Winter Soldier's kicking everybody's tail in that bar. It was like, yeah, that, that, he, he felt pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so and there may be a card there, right? That he hopes to play in the future. Absolutely. I think there's also something to possibly be explored. And, and, and I was trying to pay very close attention. Isn't there a part where either Winter Soldier or Zemo, one or the other, I think it's Winter Soldier himself, says, those words don't work anymore. It, it left me no, wondering. I, I, I think he said the, he said the old words. The old word. They, there you go. That's it. Thank yeah. you. The old words. So does that mean that there are new words and Zemo be, be very interested in finding out what those are? Might also explain why he lifted that book off of it. Mm. That he's looking for clues, some kind of thing. He, he didn't find what he was looking for, but he still found something that got under both of their skins. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about that that uh, party scene where Zemo's dancing. I mean, ugh. <laughs> it was cringeworthy. Quite I know. I mean, look, I understand the guy's been in jail and he wants to get out. But you know what? All right. Here's the part where I didn't get. Here's the part I didn't. didn't wasn't there a bounty on the three of them? What are they doing out in public? I know they they went oh, from low town to high town. Exactly, but, they went to but, high town. But there's no there's no bounty hunters in high town. I, I mean, know they don't cross over apparently. Up, I, I mean that just yeah. I was like, what are yes, they doing? Yeah. That's sort doing? of rang my bell a little bit. Too. You know, she she told them to change clothes. Don't you get that? That oh, of that's course. enough. <laughs> yes, uh, I did. I did find the the conversation between Zemo and and uh, Sam about uh, uh, a fashion forward black man. Uh, just, you know, only in America, you know, they would assume, you know, uh, something negative. Uh, so yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. I also thought it was great that little sort of uh, brief uh, interaction about Marvin Gaye between uh, Sam and oh, uh, yeah. Zemo, I thought was awesome, you know? He's like, you're out of line, but it's true. Exactly. And I'm glad y'all brought that up because episodes one and two have hit on the subject of racism very just full on. Right. This one played it a little bit more subtle. Um, the whole way Zemo interacts, it's it's almost pandering when he's talking to Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam's catching. He's like what you say. He's out of line. He was out of line about the book, but he's also out of line the way he's presenting himself. But there's also there's one other little thing. The the manservant for Zemo. Uh, on the second time watching this through, as they're boarding the plane, he's like so happy looking at Zemo and Sam's next online. And that expression on his face just goes to this scowl. 
mm-hmm. of just looking at him. And then he looks at Winter Soldier and the scowl relaxes a little bit. It's this whole just fixation on this black man. Well, it, was it was it or was it because he was an Avenger that had something to do with Sokovia, you know, that he associate with Sokovia and the Avengers, you know, so, you know, you know, that, that's a possibility. But I, I think there's I think there's definitely some some race relations stuff going on here between Zemo and Falcon and Zemo's manservant just doesn't want any of it. I mean, he was going to serve him the rotten food. Uh, yeah, they yeah, got so. rotten food. Like before we, uh, you know, we got we don't got much time left, Rick. But what did you think of that uh, global repatriation council commercial? I loved it as a marketing guy. You know, just, <laughs> I know that's what I'm know, saying. You know, yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, I'm a marketing guy by trade. So I, <laughs> I loved it. I, I thought uh, the GRC commercial um, uh, was, you know, it it certainly paints a picture. Right, uh, the, a PR type picture, uh, but I loved how it transitioned directly into the military van that John Walker got out of, you know, to show. Yeah, here's what they're saying, and here's what Dirty. you know is also going on. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, John Walker, right? That scene, right? I find it interesting too when he when he when he busts in, he doesn't say I'm Captain America. He says I'm John Walker, right? So I, I don't know. That was interesting to me. I'm not going to make anything out of it. Um, but then, you know, he, you know, he, he, he has a lot of anger, right? Cause he's like, you're lying to me, you know, like almost he expects people to just fall in place and tell him, you know, what he wants to hear. And when he wasn't, and then when the guy spit in his face and then he, he snaps, right. And he, and he, he doesn't just grab the guy and just say, do you know who I am? Like he grabbed the guy, threw threw him up against the wall, and 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 screamed, "Do you know who I am?" And uh, like he, the pressure you can see the pressure is building up in this guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The pressure is, and it's getting to the relationship between him and Battlestar as well. I think because it, he's like, "Hey, you know," trying to explain to John Walker as they're walking out of that building it's hard to defeat the kind of loyalty when people are providing you food and, and, you know, medicine and all this stuff, there's a schism for me. Yeah. You know, I, I said it like in, in our review of the first episode that Lamar is the voice of, of calm and reason and experience. You know, he's, he's a senior guy. He's a, they got him as a Sergeant major. This guy has been around a long time in the army. He's reached the pinnacle of the, uh, of the, the staff NCO ranks in the army and, and uh, and Walker doesn't have that experience. He's he's he just doesn't. And uh, and they're close and they're friends and they've worked together. But uh, but but uh, Battlestar is is in my view. I think I think they've got a, a solid outcome for Battlestar in this show. And he's he's going to yeah. be a real hero. And I'm not so sure about Walker. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, because we also he seems to be the voice of reason, right? Uh, so at the end. Um, he, when they're, they're leaving the, uh, the prison where Zemo busted out and he says, um, well, you don't think, you know, Sam and Buck had anything to do with that, which was a little naive. And it was, I guess you could see a little bit of, you know, how smart John is. And when he says, oh, absolutely, you know, they, they, they were desperate for leads and, you know, now we're going to go after him. And so, but 
but Lamar says, yeah, you know, we could get into trouble for this. And he's like, yeah, but the ends justify the means essentially was what he said. And so I think that was a little bit of a, an insight to the character that John is, um, you know, the is, he is bright. Uh, he is resourceful. Uh, but in his mind, the ends justify the means. And like you said, you know, do you think anybody's going to care if we get the bad guy? Which wasn't that phrase, the ends justify the means. Didn't that come from Machiavelli, which is what Baron Zemo was reading in the cell? Yeah, I don't, I think, I think I was just saying the ends justify the means. I don't think that was something he said on the show, but I'm just saying as a theme, it's just interesting that that's where your mind goes. And I think that's actually directly out of that piece that he was reading, which, if I may, also, um, that whole scene where he's in the, in the cell when, uh, Bucky first walks in. I've heard a, and seen a lot of people talking about the parallels between this and Silence and Lambs. That's yeah. all great. First thing I thought when he came leaning out of those shadows was Kurtz out of Apocalypse Now. Mm. I'm like, th- that. that's what screamed in my mind. Yeah, mm. nice, nice. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, yeah. yeah, so we, we, we talked a little bit about um, Carly. Uh, so you know, she had, uh, she, she, apparently there was a mother figure, um, uh, Adana, Adani or something like that, uh, who, who passed, uh, we assume it's from tuberculosis because they mentioned that something that's common, uh, among being in these, uh, GRC camps. Um, and that, uh, so she's, she's upset. And, and so we, we, for a couple scenes there, um, because we also learned that, you know, she wanted to be a teacher and things like that. So for a couple of scenes, they were kind of seeing, you know, a, a side of her. We're trying to get her story. We're trying to see that she's like kind of like Robin Hood, as I mentioned in episode two. Uh, we're trying to see her as uh, a sympathetic character, if you will. Uh, but then at the end, she blows up a building full of of workers, yeah. not 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 completely soldier, you know, military type, but just, you know, just average guys that are there to to look over and, and she does it and much to the horror of her her partner uh dovich i think his name is um and she says you know that's the only language they know uh so okay you know game on we now we now see that uh yeah she's she's quite the villain she's evil yeah yeah and, and justifies the means in her mind i imagine yeah yeah, so I, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, that was wow. That really sort of I think, especially after the sort of the pains that they took to show her in a sympathetic light as sort of a freedom fighter, maybe or somebody a Robin Hood, and then that scene really kind of, for lack of a better phrase, blew that concept out of the water. <laughs> right, and and so that ends uh, just uh, the ends justify the means. Now you have this this sort of, you know, the the Walker and and in the Carly. Right. And, and they're both kind of pursuing their goals and the ends justify the means for both of them. So. Yep. I, and I, I have a couple more points I want to get to before, before we end. Um, one is, uh, so there's 20 vials out there and there's not going to be any more uh, now that Zemo killed uh, Dr. Nagel. Um, so with that uh, 20 vials, we know that eight of them have been used. That means there's another 12 out there potentially. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. And who knows if all 12 are going to be accounted for in this series, you know, they, they may, they may spread out to other MCU shows for all we know. Um, 
so that's something I, I wanted to ask you guys about. And then the uh, the other thing, well, and two other things, um, I want to talk about um, uh, Io showing up at the very end, right, from Black Panther. Well, we knew Wakanda was going to get involved. The minute you started bringing Zemo in, just like Falcon himself said, did you forget that they killed King T'Chaka? That's rhetorical. They're not going to forget. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. So, yeah, I, I'm glad to see that uh, that Bucky noticed it. I love the way the episode ends with him just finding the tech and going back and just calling her out right there saying, I, I was wondering how, you know, how soon you were going to show up. Yeah, uh, and, and what's going to happen next, right? right. Because, yeah, there she yeah. not only is that a Wakandan, but That's that was, yes, who was supposed to protect the king and that's right probably you know not only are they emotionally tied but you know embarrassed uh humiliated what whatever i mean right the honor has been hurt uh so yeah i imagine they're not happy with the white wolf right now no not at all i think that's absolutely right they're probably very conflicted about their feelings toward bucky and and sam um for helping this guy out at all or maybe, maybe not. Maybe, uh, you know, to get back to your first uh, point, maybe, you know, Bucky has been, commun- the white wolf has been, you know, communicating with Wakanda the whole time. And, uh, and maybe, I mean, if you recall from, from the Black Panther movie, the, uh, the mystical herb there, herb that, uh, that gave the Black Panther their sort of strength was largely decimated by Killmonger. Right. Except for that one last flower. And so they may be looking for some replacement for that ability. Oh, Bob, that's brilliant because you got 12 vials of super soldier serum going around. Right. 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 And we don't know how they're going to handle Black Panther, too, if Shuri's going to take over as Black Panther and how she's going to develop that super strength or whoever, whoever takes over as the new Black Panther. Wow. All right. Hey, if I may, I want to circle around one more thing before we run out of time. Um, Do you guys notice the golden gun in the trunk of the car? No. And when they get to Zemo's yeah. first lair with all the cars, yeah. before he gets the mask, he opens up the trunk and there's a golden gun mm-hmm. lying there in the trunk. And then you fast forward to later in the episode in the bar at Madripoor, there's a guy walking around. You don't even see the guy's face, but he's got a golden gun too. So Rick, that might actually back up your theory that Zemo is the power broker. Interesting. I, I, rec- I remember seeing that golden gun, but I didn't see the second appearance. I'm going to have to go back and check that out, John. Mm. Yeah. Uh, funny episode, uh, uh, funny parts in this episode. There were a, a few humorous moments. Um, uh, and most of them centered around Sam, I think. Right. So uh, the part where uh, their cover's blown and he's running and he says, I can't run in these heels. Right. Uh, I thought that was funny. Um, and uh, I loved when uh, he was talking with uh, Sharon and saying, look, we, we can we can get you cleared. You, you can come back. And she's like, oh, you know, really? I don't, I don't know if that's the case. And he says, um, well, they cleared the bionic staring machine and he's killed almost everyone he's met. <laughs> and, then, hey. and then Bucky's like, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, I love, you know, and I love when like, 
He's like, you're not going to move your seat up, are you? No. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was payback. Oh, was total payback. payback. That's great. That, that relationship, I think, has really, really <laughs> paid off in this series. And they've really developed it. And it's it's a joy to watch. Oh, you know, I the one other thing I want to talk about and uh, is um, Sam says, you know, this piece of metal has caused so much problems, you know, and I if I could have done it over again, instead of dropping it off to the Smithsonian, I would have destroyed it. And Bucky says, well, that shield means a lot to a lot of people. And before you do that, I would wear it. And that I think. You know, everybody assumes Sam's going to be the new Captain America by the end of the series. Um, I think this here, and I, I honestly still feel that way, but I think this at least opened up the thoughts that, well, you know what? Maybe Bucky will be. Absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on right. At least it entertains the option. But I also think you're right that by the time the, the series is said and done, it's going to be Sam. He's going to come around to this idea. Um, I love the fact that this episode talks so much about symbolism and what it means for a thing to be a symbol versus what a per- what it means for a person to be a symbol. And I think Sam's really struggling with that. Um, but I think he's going to come around. No, I was going to say, you know, I think it also shows a, a little bit of maybe Sam doesn't necessarily get what that shield is, right? Because like, man, Thanos couldn't even really destroy it. You know, he, he was able to hack it in half, but I'm not sure, uh, uh, you know, how is he going to destroy it? Does he really know what that shield stands for? You can't destroy a symbol. And, and the very essence of that shield sort of speaks to the inability to destroy the symbol. Right. You know, my, my fiance brought up a good point um, in that uh, John's trying to live up to the uniform, whereas Steve, the, he made the uniform. Right. And, and so that that's really the difference between the two. All right. Well, well uh, I think we're out of time here, John. So thank you so much for joining. It was a blast having you. Thanks, guys. I had a blast being here. Awesome. It's great to have you, John. Thanks. You guys take care. Leap. Leap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another reaction to Falcon and Winter Soldier in the books. Uh, that was uh let's see episode 22 uh make sure to join us for episode 24 when we uh next sunday when we react to uh falcon winter soldier episode four that'll be fun um in the meantime uh coming out this week uh we've got our interview with uh mike perkins uh, that's coming out with episode 23. That'll be out on Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. Uh, for those who don't know who Mike Perkins is, shame on you. Uh, he uh, is a great artist that worked on the Ed Brubaker series um, from 2005 to 2008. And he started off with the uh, Winter Soldier origin. And so it's, uh, it was great catching up with him to hear about uh, what it was like working on the origin of the Winter Soldier in the comic books uh, and where that story uh uh, went off to uh, and, and uh, other things that he did on the cap series. So um, check that out. That'll be out this Wednesday and that will be episode number uh, 23. All right. Uh, Bob, any, any last thoughts before we uh, wrap us up? No, man, that was, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a great conversation and uh, some crazy wild theories and uh, we'll see what, uh, what comes true. I know in the meantime, it's just, just fun watching it all. So 
All right. It was a great rapid cap with you. Yep. Let's do this again, man. All right. Uh, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis. And you've been listening to the Captain America comic book fans podcast. 